0: So today's message, the main theme is this. Jesus is innocent. And you ask yourself, so what? So I want to begin my time by asking you, have you ever experienced being unjustly charged, unjustly accused, and worse still, not unjustly accused of something, a wrongdoing that you never embarked on, didn't even cross your mind, but you were punished for it. And so I shared a few weeks ago, I do not know whether you heard of one of my greatest sadnesses was that sec 1 in a school that I was growing up in, in in small town, Malaysia, just after recess, right? And after recess, all going back to our classes and the principal was walking around and all of a sudden he said from the quadrangle, you, 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 come down. And I was part of the you. And there I was. And he caught, he singles out for pushing. I say to you, out of innocence, I wasn't pushing. I was pushed. So I found myself standing among three fellows who were guilty of pushing, and I was pushed. But he was intent to discipline. And before long, I felt a smack across my face, which I've never forgotten. In front of the whole school. And Mona and I went to the same primary school and secondary school, it crossed my mind, how did a nice chap like that get smacked? I think so, lah, I'm just guessing. Because I was known as Mr. Nice from young, right? And up to this day, when I think back over the thing, everything within me screams, I wasn't guilty of that. I wasn't pushing. I was in line. He just said, would leave one, two, three, four, and the rest of them, you la, you laugh, you laugh and I ended up there. That is micro, so minute, compared to what you're going to read about the Lord Jesus Christ. Because his accusation, the accusations against him, will lead you to the most unjust death in human history. So for me, it was just embarrassing, slightly humiliating. For Jesus, it was totally crushing an abandonment by God. So it all comes down to, in the final moments of Jesus' life, His death. What do you make of the purpose of your life? You won't understand the purpose of your life, you won't understand the meaning of your life, until you understand the death of Jesus. And that's the connection. So I want to ask you the next thing, which is, what's your view of death? Hopefully, the next slide comes on, see whether this works. Thus, And your view of death could be medical. You know, if someone passes away, a grandpa, a grandma passes away at home, what is it you have to do? You have to call in a doctor. You have to call in a doctor to verify that death. And the doctor verifies that death, no more pulse, no more dil- dilation. Yes, pronounced clinically dead. So you could have a clinical definition or view of death. Or you could have a r- religious meaning of death. The death is actually nothing. You you come into the world and then you live a certain time and then whether it depends on how much good work you do or how much evil you do and whether they, how they balance each other and your next life may be dependent on what form you come in. And in some religious systems, that may be true. And I belonged to that when I was growing up. And so for some, it's just um, oh, death. It's it's nothing. When you die, you you just the spirit just goes up and joins up with the spirits up there. That was very huge among the Greeks. There was very huge in Platonic thought that when you die, your body goes to the grave, but your spirit joins up with a great being up there. Great being beginning with capital B. What a great being is, nobody knows. So you could take a philosophical religious view to death. Or you could take a natural view to death. What's natural? It's natural, lah. natural to be born, natural to grow up, natural to grow old, natural to grow sick, and natural to die and ultimately death whatever la whichever one you want to think you can choose because as with everything in life and including death it's your view it's not any objective view there is no black and white there's no absolute truth to life if there's no absolute truth to life there is no absolute truth to death it is whatever And whatever became so big in Singapore, I keep saying this, that I do not know, a few years ago, we came up with a drink called whatever. Remember that? Because when you go and people ask you what drink you want, don't know lah, whatever. So they made up a drink for you. Should you approach life that way, when you look at the death of Jesus, it's not whatever lah. Chapter 23 has this broad outline. The trial of Jesus. Then the crucifixion of Jesus, and then finally the burial of Jesus. And so the trial, we begin our Bible reading with this. Then the whole company of them arose and brought him before Pilate. Who is the whole company? Who is they in verse 2? They began to accuse him, saying, We found this man misleading our nation because we have just read it. We'll go through this more briefly. And Pilate asked him, Are you the king of the Jews? So three characters here, they, Pilate and Jesus, to truly understand Jesus' death. What led to his death, we have to trace the storyline from the day, that they are the chief priests, the scribes and the elders, increasing circles of the religious leaders of Israel, the number one religious leaders of Israel symbolized, represented by what we call the Sanhedrin. And so the storyline of them and their relationship with Jesus begins here. In 1947, they sought to destroy him. In 2018, they sought to lay hands on him. In 22 verse 2, they were seeking to put him to death. If I'm not wrong, we go back and check. The New Testament is written in the Greek language. The Greek root word for each one of those words translated seeking, sought and seeking in different tenses is the Greek root word zetio. You want to try that? Zetio. Zetio means you're constantly thinking about this. So I said in the sermon at Adam two weeks ago when I shared this for the first time. right? So durance season has come around. How many of you love durance? Hands up. Honestly, we are we're Christians here. How many of you love Durance? How many of you like durance? How many of you love durance? How many of you worship durance? So, if you are in the category of loving and worshiping durance, the moment durance season comes along, your mind cannot stop thinking about durance. That's positively. That's positively thinking. But sometimes it is negative, it is what we call pejorative. It's not constantly good thinking about something or someone but constantly negative, pejorative thinking about evil thinking. So the three things strung together about their response increasingly to Jesus was, they were premeditated in their hatred towards Him. They were obsessed in getting rid of Him. They were possessed in psychological terms today. If you are suffering this, we call this OCD. You just can't stop thinking about it. So by the time you arrive in chapter 23, Jesus' death, where did it begin? Jesus didn't die at hands. He died in people's hearts. The death of a relationship, the death of a person begins in our hearts. Jesus said in Mark chapter 7, out of a man's heart comes what? If you don't believe in God, if you are atheists, Out of a man's heart and woman's heart comes goodness. Then, as you live in this world, as you grow from kindergarten to primary school, the world corrupts you. That's atheistic secular anthropology. Our idea of men, our psychology of humanity. Jesus' diagnosis of you and me of anthropology is no, you were born evil. You were not made evil. The two things are true, but you were firstly born evil. Out of a man's heart comes all kinds of evil. Sexual immorality, greed, envy, ambition, all those things. So from their murderous hearts against Jesus, recorded in three verses, 1947, 20, 18, 22, verse 2, then they led him to this religious charge of blasphemy. He has now said he is the son of God. Do we need any more evidence? That's how chapter 22 ended. They had a sham trial. They just wanted him to say that he was the son of God. Jesus doesn't say it. He just says, it is as you say. I am who you say I am. You made the accusation. He knows who he is. And then now they bring him before a political court. A religious court, because they were living, the Jews were living under Roman rule. A religious court could only punish for religious crimes. But only the Roman court for political matters could send somebody to death. For what? So from their murderous hearts to their murderous hands, we got to trace this ourselves to understand the Gospel. We firstly demonize people in our hearts before we destroy them with our plans. You have to understand that of yourself. You have to understand that of the crowds before you understand Jesus and his implications for us. So Jesus' death, where did it begin? You must never underestimate what? The bitterness that you may have in your heart when there are failed expectations. And a failed expectation and derailed entitlement. And so what failed expectations? Jesus had failed the expectations of Judas. Because he, like the rest of the nation, were expecting a powerful political military Messiah save us from Rome. Rome is our greatest problem. Rome is our greatest problem. I want to ask you as I just ponder there with you. What do you think is the greatest problem in your life? That's stopping you from full happiness. The greatest problem in life. Some of you may say, it's my younger brother. It's my younger sister. Some of you may say, by the time you're teenagers, the greatest problem in my life is my father. Everything I ask him is no. Every, the greatest problem in my life is my mother. Anybody who stops you from your idea of happiness in a day, you will start to build up something against them. So never underestimate the bitterness in your heart, the angst in your heart, the anger in your heart, when you have failed expectations the failed expectations were growing from Judas personally to the crowds and derailed entitlement. For the religious leaders, how dare a small-town rabbi, how can a small-town rabbi speak with more authority than us, do miracles that we can never do, which we can't deny, as much as we can't deny what what, uh, John the Baptist did. We can't deny what Jesus did. But what is it that really irked them, the religious leaders? What really irked them was how could a small-town teacher from Galilee be more popular than us? It was their popularity. It was their rank and applause of men that was. So never underestimate when somebody stands in the way of your recognition. Then we zoom in as the account gives to us. In summary form, Pilate and Jesus. Three times he says this and recorded for us. 23 verse 4, I find no guilt in this man. 23 verse 14, I find this man guilty of nothing. I just pause there. Guilty of nothing. Of anything you've charged him. Fine. Every charge, you said two main charges. This man has told us to stop paying taxes to Rome. I didn't find him guilty of that. You say, this man, right, has called himself a king and he's going to challenge Caesar. That's what the claim is. I find him not guilty of that. Then 23 verse 22, what evil has he done? And so Pilate the governor, and usually Pilate is not in Jerusalem. His headquarters, his office, let me ask you our prime minister's office, where is it? Just to get you on board with us. You don't know. I also don't know. Um, But just to get you thinking. His office, Pilate, was mainly in Caesarea. It's unusual he's in Jerusalem. And why is he in Jerusalem during the Passover? Because they were expecting some trouble. And he as governor, he had to put down trouble. He himself had already gotten into trouble, Pilate, because he failed to put down Because of his cruel rule and his unjust rule, he failed to put down rebellion elsewhere. So for his masters, his political masters, his bosses, he already had a black mark. And on modern day terms, he didn't get promoted. So if he does one more boo-boo as governor, it's not going to look good for him. But in regards to Jesus, he looks at Jesus and the religious leaders bringing charges. He pronounces him innocent three times. Then Herod and Jesus, 23 verse 8, hoping to see some sign, he has a curious interest in Jesus. Could it be John the Baptist come back from the dead? Could it be that he, I've heard he can do signs, I'm curious. Then in 23 verse 11, Herod and the soldiers treated Jesus with contempt and mocked him. And what was the contempt? They dressed him up as a king and they mocked him. And then, 23 verse 15, Pilate didn't find Jesus guilty, neither did Herod. And so he, in his best understanding, Jesus is innocent. What about the religious leaders and the crowds? But they all cried out together. By now, the Jewish religious leaders were working up the local population of Jerusalem called Jerusalemites. Now, that's quite different to the whole group that followed Jesus all the way from Galilee into Jerusalem. They were Galileans. They were the ones mainly welcoming Jesus. The Jerusalemites, they only heard about him. There were no handphones. There were no WhatsApp. But they heard of this guy who is pretty good and pretty popular. But they had no love lost with him. But now they are listening to their religious teachers demonizing Jesus, poisoning their minds about Jesus. So they all cried out together, Away with this man. Away with this man is another way of saying, Crucify him. You crucify him and you release to us Barabbas. And what do you know about Barabbas? A man who had been thrown into prison for an insurrection, starting in the city and for murder. So the account up to verse 17 will be following. Accusations against Jesus, innocent, 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 innocent. The counterperson to him that can be released, a prisoner that can be released, one act of amnesty during Passover for the Jews, guilty, guilty. Guilty of what? Guilty of what they charged Jesus for? Insurrection against the state, treason against the state. Pilate addressed them once more, desiring to release Jesus. Can you see that? He was still trying to do the right thing, but it's very hard to do the right thing against popular opinion. The polls are saying, the polls are saying, don't all politicians run by polls? You've got to pray that Singapore and our government and our elections don't just run by popularity. To rule, because you do the right thing, and to rule because the people want popular lower morality are two different things. But they kept shouting. Now, the voices were louder. I give you this thing. You want to write it down? If you haven't written down? The weaker the argument, the louder the voice. The weaker the argument you have against me for any accusations you have, the louder the voice you will have. The weaker the argument you have between a husband and wife, the louder your voice. That's how husbands traumatize wives. We verbally torment them. It's mental abuse. It's verbal abuse. The weaker the argument. A third time, he said to them, "Why? What evil has he done? I found in him no guilt, no guilt deserving death. And so I will therefore punish him. And the punishment was what? Th- what do you think was the punishment?" The punishment was to scourge him. Scourge, big English word, scourge. Google. Because I've not heard of scourge in the last 20 years. Have you? Was to whip him. And you read the other two gospel accounts. The whipping, if you ask Pastor Jeff and anybody who's been in and out of prison, and some of the men are here, the thing that they fear most is the rotan. And the rotan is soaked. And when it's soaked, and it comes whack for the life of me, you could think you're the bravest man on planet Earth. The rotan is kindergarten compared to the cat or nine tails which was used to scourge Jesus. It's not described in detail here. You can read the rest. The cat or nine tails, which was the whip, the name is cat or nine tails. You know why? because it has claws, metal claws at the end of the whip. And when it hits you, it tears away the flesh. So, I will punish him, and then I will release him. But now they were even louder. They were urgent, demanding with loud cries that Jesus should be crucified. And Pilate said, No, I'm the governor and their voices prevail. Popularity covered up depravity. Be careful, my friends, when we use legality to cover up depravity. Be careful, my friends, when you use legality to cover up immorality. And that's how they get Christians and churches. The law of the land says you cannot evangelize, but God says go to the ends of the earth. I've just used the law of the land to stop you. And the Church of Jesus Christ would have to learn this. We are not in here for popularity, we are in here for authenticity. So the religious leaders working up the crowds, more and more, spreading throughout the whole of Jerusalem. Insurrection, saying he's a king. And then revolution. He stirs up people all the way from Galilee, and now he's stirring up people all the way to Judea fake charges, sham trial. Ask yourself again the way we began. Jesus is innocent. He's completely, thoroughly innocent. And you ask yourself, so what? He's innocent. So we sentence Him. He's innocent. So we mock Him. He's innocent. So we scourge Him. He's innocent. So we crucify Him. At every point, if there's one word you shouldn't miss in Luke 23, is he was innocent. Everything should well up within you. This is totally unjust. Vindicate this man, O God. Vindicate this man. Crucifixion. Five themes in a crucifixion. At least I picked that up. Reading the commentaries. Jesus dies. Jesus dies with who? If I gave you a choice as to how you will die, where you will die, what would you choose? Who will you die with? I'll give you a simple choice. Do you want to die in hospital or die at home? All those who want to die in hospitals, put up your hands. All those who choose to die at home, put up your hands. Is anybody here? I'm just doing a survey. How many will want to die among crooks? He died among the unrighteous, the criminals. Secondly, the crowds stirred up by the religious leaders completely reject Him. Louder and louder and louder and only one OCD thought crucify Him, crucify Him, crucify Him. But the heart of the matter, Jesus now is innocent again. And who will pronounce him innocent? Then creation bears testimony to Jesus. Creation will bear true testimony to Jesus because men, creatures, all bear false testimony to Jesus that kills him on the cross. And Jesus will show his complete trust in the Father. It's a very huge portion. But those are the five main themes that must come across. Let me explain them as best as I can in brief. The crowd's complete rejection of Jesus. The people watch. Have you ever watched things as a bystander? You see a crowd, you like to be capo and join them, right? You see a crowd. So once I was preaching at the East Coast at one of the churches, then I came, I was driving back, I was so hungry because I missed breakfast. Then I was looking around, I don't know the East Coast very well, so... I was looking around and saw a huge crowd lining up for food. and I saw Bakute shop, so I, I went to eat. It was the worst bakute I've eaten. I mean, crowds through signal is good, right? Maybe my stances are too high or too different. The, the people watch. This is a spectacle. The rulers sneer. The soldiers they they mock him, sorry I missed a the word, they mock him. And then they scourge him. And Barambas set free. Let me just go back to mock him. Something that happens in our universities is Orientation Day. And Orientation Day, in many countries in the world, they have ragging. They rag the new students. Actually, it's been banned in many places. But sometimes the ragging has gone totally berserk. Totally berserk. You just read of five men or some men just torturing another man, right? In a public, in a public toilet. Did I read the news wrongly? It's just that kind of thing. The soldiers mock him, they scourge him. Barabbas, the confirmed criminal, the confirmed criminal against Rome, he is set free. And then the criminal blasphemes him. You say you can save yourself, uh, you can save others, but you can't save yourself. And the composite picture, the total picture you get of him, of Jesus, he's led like a sheep. To the slaughter. To really understand Jesus in the last moments, two big passages guide us. Psalm 22, that usually I'll preach from year by year, but you're going to hear this in our Easter convention. Because more of Psalm 22 is quoted about the death of Jesus to understand Jesus' death than any Psalm. Psalm 22. And the other Old Testament passage is Isaiah 53. He was a man of no beauty. Everybody rejected him like a a sheep led to the slaughter. And Jesus is innocent again. And this time, who pronounces him innocent? Not the leaders, not Pilate, not Herod. He's now pronounced innocent by unthinkable people. The thief confesses, Jesus, remember me when you come into your kingdom. The centurion the non-Jew confesses he praised God. No one there is found praising God. And certainly this man was innocent. Everything in here, friends, should really burden our hearts. And Jesus' last three hours, it was now about the sixth hour, there was darkness of the whole land until the ninth hour. This is creation-bearing True testimony to Jesus. While the sun's light fell and the curtain of the temple was torn in two, then Jesus calling out a loud voice saying, Father, into your hands I commit my spirit. And having said this, he breathed his last. Darkness over the land, forsakenness on the cross, openness of a new temple. If you grew up as a Jew, the number one thing your parents will tell you as a child, we can go to the temple area. And the temple area has different parts from the outer court of the Gentiles. Then you go, go, go. But there's one place, son, you must never walk into, you must never accidentally play hide and seek thieves and robbers and then run into the holy of holies there's now the openness of the new temple, not the closeness of the Holy of Holies. And there, there is an unthinkable confession, not by a God person, but by a non-God person called a Gentile. Each of this, in turn, darkness over the whole land is not an eclipse. Doesn't simply say that this is God's disapproval. In the words of one writer, this is Jesus baptised in cosmic evil. Drowning because God has allowed Satan and his demons to triumph over his own son. Take that phrase and keep it in your heart. He's been drowned by cosmic evil. Face to face with evil, he's drowned by them. That's why the symbolism, darkness, over the whole land it's very important to see this because all of jesus life was a fierce spiritual warfare between god and satan over him begins his public ministry tempted three times face to face after with satan then his betrayal begins with satan entered judas it's a spiritual warfare my friends curtain of temple was torn in two destruction of the old, the old was totally corrupt. The temple was a temporary meeting place between the holy God and his unholy people. And the only way a holy God could entertain a long-term relationship with unholy people was through a temple system with priests, earthly priests, offering the blood of animals, pointing to a permanent priesthood and a permanent sacrifice. Jesus is that permanent priesthood is that perfect priesthood. And Jesus is that perfect sacrifice for the permanent temple or access to God. He opens the way to God. The curtain is torn from top to bottom. Is there a curtain here? We should hang a curtain for dramatic sake. You want a, a curtain is hanging, you want to tear it because it's so old, you tear it from where to where. You tear it from bottom to top. You know, have you have no ability to tear it from top to bottom, unless you have an a fog lift that can lift you up. It is God who has opened the way. And having said this, he breathed his last. So we ask ourselves: Was Jesus' life taken from him, or was Jesus' life given by him? Was he killed, or did he die? Offering his life as a sacrifice for us. Some passages will say they killed him. Acts chapter 2 is gonna say that. But in the life of Jesus is very important for us to realize his death was not death by misadventure. He wasn't merely a pawn, he wasn't merely a victim, and in Hokkien Bobian law, God killed law. No. Jesus is this masterful control and he chooses to breathe his last. You ever seen somebody die? In my work as a pastor, we see a lot of that. Maybe not as many as doctors see or nurses see or healthcare workers see in ICU. But the first time you witness somebody dying before your very eyes breathing their last is that they are trying to keep themselves alive. Jesus willingly gives him his life in obedience to the Father, in love for you and me. And all his acquaintances and the women who had followed him from Galilee stood at a distance watching these things. So as you read this, right, this account actually is quite kind but it's actually at the foot of the cross at the distance is women, women everywhere and men nowhere why is that important? because a woman's testimony is not credible in a Jewish court of law so yes we were eyewitnesses of his death and yes we are going to be eyewitnesses of his resurrection but in our language Is not going to hold water. It's Bopakai. Now there was a man named Joseph from the Jewish town of Arimathea. And what else do we know about Joseph? He was a member of the council. But he, unlike the majority, he was a good and righteous man. He, like Nicodemus, only two of them are singled out as good. He, like Nicodemus, right? What did he do? He had not consented to their evil decision and action. He was looking for the kingdom of God. So here is man looking, here. here is a Jewish leader looking for the consolation of the kingdom of God. This man did a most dangerous thing. What's the most dangerous thing you lo- did last week? What's the most dangerous thing you've done in your life ever? The most dangerous thing to have done was to walk up to Pilate and to ask for the body of the man that was just crucified. And then he took it down, wrapped it in linen, linen shroud, laid it in a tomb, cut in stone. When no one had laid, do you think he could have just ended there, laid in a tomb and no need the rest? This was a virgin tomb, an unused tomb. Only the rich, can afford tombs. And where is this happening? It's happening in the richest city of Israel, Jerusalem. Jesus is an outsider. He will not have a burial ground. Not specific to himself. They will take down all those bodies and dump them in an unknown place. But Joseph of comes and he gives him a tomb. Unused. Because he's rich. Women, not credible, not credible witnesses or in God's purposes, God will turn them into incredible witnesses. We'll see more of that next week. So please come next week. And when evening had come, since it was the day of preparation, that is the day before the Sabbath, you know there's a burial crisis. It's not so pronounced here, but in the other gospel, it brings it up. Have you ever faced a burial crisis? You may face a burial crisis if your loved one passed away overseas. You know how much work you have to do if your father or mother or brother or sister died overseas to arrange to bring the body back? What was the burial crisis for them? The burial crisis was a clash of two laws. And what were the two laws? In Jewish law, if someone guilty of a capital offence is put to death and their body is exposed on a pole, you must not leave the body hanging on the pole overnight. Be sure to bury it that same day because anyone who is hung on the pole is under God's curse. You must not desecrate the holy land the Lord your God is giving you as inheritance. And so in Jewish law given by God in Deuteronomy 21, you mustn't leave a body on the pole. In Roman law, the Roman authorities denied burial for those crucified for treason. So, God's law says, bury. Roman law says, you don't touch it. Because we are going to make a spectacle of every treason, every insurrections. And so, Jewish law and Ambari cops defiles the land. Roman law, denial of burial, the Sabbath is near. This is an unsolvable crisis for women who are not local Jerusalemites. They got no networking, they got no phone, they got no one to call, help us. We want to bury Jesus, but help us. And who does God bring to solve this unsolvable burial crisis? Joseph of Arimathea. And so a crosset disciple becomes an open disciple. He walks up to Pilate and says, Can I have his body? And Pilate is willing to give it to him because Joseph is not a disciple. He's not family. And so the chance of this going wrong, of them faking it and say Jesus rose when he actually, they stole his body and then, so he was willing to let him go. We draw some lessons in ending. What lessons? Behold, Gospel Paradox. If you were there watching that scene, right? if you were there, you would ask yourself, where is God? Where is God in all of this? Where is God in the person and the work of Jesus? But the Gospel Paradox is this, that God is most visible when He's most unseen. At the cross, he is not visible. All Christians and the Church of Jesus Christ over 2,000 years, and even the Church of the Old Testament, must always believe this. When we are persecuted, when we are opposed, when we are tempted, when cosmic evil comes over your life and my life, God is most at work when he seems to be least at work. That is the cross of Jesus Christ. Don't ever come to a premature and wrong conclusion. And some of you could be in personal circumstances that nothing in my life shows any evidence that God is in love with me and interested in me. Because everything in my life has totally gone down the tubes. I just want to encourage you as I preach to myself. That God is most visible when He's most hidden. You believe that? Behold the gospel irony, not just a paradox. Three times they say this, different lips. He saved others, he cannot save himself. He saved others, he cannot save himself. So, he's a liar, he's a madman. You need to ask yourself the question. He could not save himself. That means he had no capability, no power to save himself, or he chose not to save himself. He would not. He had every power to save himself because all he had to do was to call upon the legion of angels and it would be finished. Angelic beings, overwhelm human beings, Pilate, Herod, all done. Over and done. Please don't get this wrong. What God can do and God chooses not to do while we wait for His glorious return are two different things. And God is in the business of sometimes not seem to be acting in your life. You don't seem to be safe. But He's actually saving you from a destiny worse than what you're experiencing at the moment. There's a third thing. Beware, as we look from the religious leaders to Judas to the crowd, all influenced by Satan, you're worse than you ever thought as a sinner. But Jesus is better than you can ever imagine. And you need to ask yourself, in what way can I, are you saying that I'm worse than I ever thought? You are more self-interested then you care to confess. You're more self-important. You're more self-pleasing. You're more self-righteous. You're more self-glorious. You're more self than you ever acknowledge. Just imagine you have a tiff with your spouse, a tiff with your parents. Something goes wrong. A tiff maybe in church. You are more self-interested, self-important, self-pleasing, self-righteous, self-glorious. Every single character that put Jesus to death had a dose of this. And for Peter, though all deny you. I will never deny you. What do you call that? Self-sufficiency. And so if this is true, you're worse than you ever thought. And Jesus is better than you ever imagined. You need to ask yourself, why do you bother with me? So what's your view of death? Is it medical? Is it religious? Is it natural? Is it whatever? No, friends. Whatever view of death you have is going to kill you. Romans chapter 6, verse 33 says, The wages of sin is death. Sin is not a medical problem. Sin is not a religious problem. Death is not a medical problem. Death is not a religious problem, sorry. Death is a spiritual problem. Our rebellion and broken relationship. And you and me can only overcome death by simple faith in Jesus who died an innocent man on your behalf. In a few moments, we're going to celebrate the Lord's Supper. And what does Lord's Supper celebrate? Commemorate everything we've just heard of in the Gospel. Before we celebrate the Lord's Supper, can you invite us to stand and pray together? To spend some time in reflection and meditation? to spend some time in right response to God. That God has spoken His Word about the last moments of His Son, that we might truly understand the meaning of Jesus' death. And from understanding His death, truly understand understand the meaning and purpose of our life. Spend some moments reflecting because we are worse than we ever dare to confess. That we can get so bitter in our hearts when someone, or worse still, God stands in the way of our expectations. God derails our entitlement to happiness, our entitlement to applause, our entitlement to the meaning of life. Spend some time settling your heart before God. Now spend some time beholding the beauty of Jesus. The humility of Jesus that prevented him from pronouncing himself innocent but trusting completely in the Father to declare him innocent and to vindicate him. Run to Jesus. Believe in Jesus. And find salvation not in self In self-effort, in self-righteousness, but in His, in His righteousness. Oh Lord Jesus, You are to be believed, You are to be be exalted, and You are to be worshipped. Save us from ourselves, save us from our sin, and save us from Satan. That we might live in fullness of life as we step out in faith to believe Him.